Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. At Awaken Church, we are passionate about wrestling with and being unraveled by the Christian scriptures. Ideally, we do this together around the table in the neighborhood of Bones. As we see it, Jesus has invited all of us to encounter Him in a diverse community and participate with Him in a mission of loving our neighbors. Uh, the first Sunday in Advent uh, just feels like a really special time of year, and I'm really glad uh, to be here uh, with this particular group of people in this moment in our history, and um, not just those in person, but those of you on Zoom as well. I'm just glad that we're all here, and that um, I don't know uh, the road that brought you here, um, but we're here. We made it. We're here. Um, we're reflecting on uh, our theme for Advent this year is um, a line from Mary's Magnificat, um, that, uh, something like uh, God has been faithful from generation to generation. So we're reflecting on this idea of generation to generation, the generations before, the generations after, regeneration within us. Um, and when I think of uh, something that's very ancient and very new, um, and, and I know this is such a like cliche and a Kayla thing, but I'm really into trees. I know you know that, but I wanted to tell you this tree thing. And I mean, if you're going to talk about generations, trees are a big deal because we all, we call it a family tree, right? A genealogy is like a family tree. So, um, but uh, there's a photo here. I learned something this summer reading a very wonderful book called The Hidden Life of Trees. That did you know, I've never noticed this before, but obviously the color green comes from the sunshine. Yeah. It's photosynthesis, chlorophyll. It just comes from the sun. But if you've ever walked in a forest, where there's a really thick canopy above you, where almost when you're in the woods, it's like dark, like the dark woods. The idea is that the sun is being blocked by the big canopy overhead. But after reading this book, I noticed something now when I'm walking in a, in a thick forest, there are often like small trees and small things growing that are green, but they're not getting any sunlight because they're growing in the shadow of the great big ancient trees um, that are forming the canopy above. And I didn't know, I didn't really notice that before, but I learned the most fascinating thing that in some forests and some types of trees, essentially what happens is the big mother trees, the big grandparent trees are drinking the sunshine from the sky and they have kind of like open access to the sky. And they pull, they pull all those nutrients, they pull that sunshine all the way down through their branches, down through their trunk and all the way down into their roots. And they actually take the color green, the chlorophyll from their roots and stretch it out and give that green and that chlorophyll to those smaller trees growing in the understory. That the green that's in the trees that are down below is it's not come from the sun. It comes from the roots. It's been passed on to them by the parent trees. And what happens is the parent trees are aware of this new generation of trees that's growing. And they know that if they just had unrequited access to the sun, the trees would grow up really quickly. But then when the winter comes, when the wind comes, when the, when the hail comes, when the mildew and the blight comes, they would not survive. So the parent trees can actually stunt the growth and they determine how much they kind of feed the babies. It's essentially like nursing. It's like breastfeeding. The, the little baby trees are nursing and they decide because if they can slow down the growth of the little trees, they're, they're, uh, the wood fibers will be really, really thick and dense and strong. And so for like about 80 years, they don't grow very much uh, that you can measure, but they're getting very, very strong. And when the grandparent trees know that the small tree is ready, they will naturally start pulling the nutrients away from their branches. And then when the wind comes, the branches break off and the parents will or grandparents will literally shed branches to let the light in as if to say to the little tree, 
it's time now, little one. It's time now for you to grow up and take your piece of the sky. And that has stuck with me now when I walk through the woods and I reflect on where the, which little trees are being nursed by which parent trees. And um, that story stuck with me. And so I'm going to carry that metaphor a bit through um, today's teaching. I learned also, I'm reading a, a, a commentary on Matthew this week, that there's this uh, really beautiful Korean tradition. And I bet you this is a tradition in lots of different cultures, but it struck me that when a newborn baby is born in a family, the oldest living patriarch is the one that names it, name, names them. So the oldest living person in the family uh, holds the newest living person in the family. Can you feel the contrast between the very old and the very new? And then the very old, the patriarch or the oldest one passes a name on to the newborn baby. Uh, the grandparent, uh, as if to say, um, here's the sunshine of my life. I can nourish through my roots to you. Um, and they pass on the story. They pass on the light. And this idea of passing on the story uh, is actually a really huge part uh, of our story, of our uh, scriptures. There's a, a passage in Deuteronomy I want to read you. In fact, the book of Deuteronomy, if you ever look up the like, just some, like something like a line, like tell your children or remind your children, uh, the book of Deuteronomy, that's where you'll find the most references to that. And there's this beautiful text. Um, uh, there's one in Deuteronomy and one in Exodus. I just want to show you, but uh, on the next slide there. In Deuteronomy 4, it says, be on guard and watch yourselves closely so that you don't forget the things your eyes saw. And so they never leave your mind as long as you live. Teach them to your children and your children's children. And what, what the big thing in the book of Deuteronomy is, is um, instructions on how to do ceremony. How to do ceremony, how to do rituals, what festivals and feasts to keep. Because the purpose of every festival uh, in the Christian and uh, Jewish scriptures, the purpose of every ceremony is to tell the story to the grandchildren, to pass on what we saw with our own eyes to the next generation. We pass on our story through ceremony. Ceremonies make community, and communities make ceremony. The Passover story, the Passover is probably the biggest ceremony kind of in, in the first few books of the Bible there. And the whole point of Passover is you have this meal, which kind of performs the script of emancipation. And the idea is, and it says this all throughout Exodus and, and, and Deuteronomy, when one of your children says, I don't understand the ceremony, then you have the chance to tell them. So in Exodus 12, uh, for example, this is one of my uh, favorites. Um, Moses says, uh, or, or this is probably God speaking through Moses. We'll see. This day will be a day of remembering for you. That's the point of the Passover. This is a day of remembering. You will observe it as a festival to the Lord. You will observe it from generation to generation as a guide for all time. When you enter the land that the Lord has promised to give you, be sure that you observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean? You will say, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. For the Lord passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt. When he struck down the oppressors, he spared our houses. The people then bowed down and worshipped. This is the ceremony. So that we could remember. We could remember where we've been. And we could tell the story uh, and create new memories for those who will go ahead of us. Ceremony makes community and community makes ceremony. Awaken has largely been shaped by the ceremony of the communion table. Many of you, uh, if someone asked you, you know, three months into attending, what is it you love about Awaken? I know your answer would be the way Awaken does communion. Ceremonies make community and community makes ceremony. And there's something um, 
precarious in that because sometimes we're like, well, how creative can we be? How free can we be? Do we have to do it exactly this, like exactly like, like, you know, like wars have been fought over like what kind of crackers or what kind of wine or who's allowed to take it or what part of the service, who's allowed to serve it, who's allowed to bless it, you know, and, and, and there's this kind of anxiety we have. Uh, but beautifully, um, the scriptures don't seem to have as much of the same anxiety that we often have. Um, <clears throat> like Moses gives the law in Exodus to one generation, and then at the end of his life gives the law again in Deuteronomy to the next, but the law is different. He adapts it, he changes it for the new community, for the next generation. And I've learned uh, in the last uh, six months, uh, walking with some of you and meeting with some of you that uh, a lot of us right now, I'm going to try and look in your faces to see if I'm totally out to lunch or not. A lot of us struggle with guilt. Do you feel guilt? Like mom guilt? <laughs> or like church guilt? This is what I get from so many of you. Hey, Kayla, I'm really sorry I haven't been to church lately. I feel really guilty. I'm going to try my best to get there next week. And, and, and you know, like, I'm kind of like, I am pretty good at guilting people, but I, but I'm kind of starting to feel sad about all the apologies because I realize I don't want it to be the spirit of guilt that drives you here. That's not, that's not the one. I don't want anybody uh, to come to a gathering because they're like, oh, we better. And Akela's going to go on another stress leave. Like, oh man, like, we really got to go. And that sense of like, we have to do it because it's the right thing to do. We have to go because it's the good thing to do. I realized Moses never has that. Jesus, Jesus doesn't uh, uh, kind of lead that way. Uh, and, and I've just been reflecting on how like your pastor and your elders, um, we're not uh, miracle workers, we're midwives. We're, we're, we're holding watch to attend to the birth that is happening in you. The spirit is doing something in you. I don't know what it is. I don't know exactly what it will look like or exactly when it will sort of show its face. I don't know if it'll be slow or fast or painful or pleasurable. I don't know if it'll be messy or if we'll need more hands on deck. I don't know. But we're committed to keep watch, to be prepared, and to help you feel safe while you go through that transition. And so wherever your journey, wherever you're at in that sort of regeneration, um, there's space for you. As soon as we become a church of people driven by guilt or a sense of obligation or duty, um, we stop being a church and we start being a museum. Hear me out, a museum. Imagine this, a church is a museum and the pastor is simply the curator of artifacts. <laughs> and I put out some artifacts of the past and I dust them and I have a plaque and I say 2000 years ago, this was important and 500 years ago, this was important and 6,000 years ago, this was important. And I want you to come every single week and remember all the artifacts. And if people stop coming to the museum, well, we could renovate, we could just change the displays, we could try and find some different artifacts, maybe like they're all probably in a museum in England, we could try and like get them back, you know. Um, but the idea becomes like, you need to come and remember the past. And I think that's not what we are, we're not a museum. We're not just preserving and curating dead artifacts of the past. We're not just saying, come and walk through here once a week. And some of you are like, I feel like once a year is good. Like, I kind of know the, I've read the plaques, you know? I heard a quote uh, a few years ago. It's, it's a really famous quote. You've probably all know it, but it says that uh, tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. And so I, I think there's, it, there's like permission that we can grant each other uh, where we say, um, Wherever you go from here, um, God will get there first. And I know that God will lead you home. 
and we can lead each other home. And so there's freedom. There's freedom for us to be shaped by the story of our childhood and then to participate in reshaping that story and how we pass it on and how we live it out. A distressful moment in class for all of my students at Ambrose is often when they learn about the, the layers of editing and redaction in the biblical text. This was my lecture last week. I'm like, so we know that like these few verses were written like in the year 600 and then down here, this was added in later. This one here, we don't know. And we can see that like this king tried to write this for like his own political agenda. And students are like, what do you mean? Like they really want it to be the case that the biblical text was just orated directly from God. But I have found in my walk, my wrestling with the scriptures, that the layers of the text um, suggest that it was actually a very complex and, and profound and meaningful process that got us um, these stories. Um, and it means to me that the text isn't just a story. The text is not just a story. It's an ode to community. It bears witness to the way stories shape people that shape stories that shape people that shape stories, that shape people. And in the text, we can see evidence of a community wrestling, passing it on to their children, being shaped by it and passing it on a little differently, emphasizing different things. It's way of four gospels in the Bible, not one. We've got two genealogies, they're pretty different because stories shape people who shape stories, who shape people from generation to generation. It's supposed to be a living faith. It's supposed to look different. It's supposed to grow and bend and stretch and regenerate. The scripture reading, uh, there's two uh, for today. In Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3 to 8, I think this is an ode to the way our faith is living and it, it, it bends and it, and, it, and it moves. It's uh, Isaiah 2, 3 to 8. And it says, Many nations will go and say, Come. Let's go up to the Lord's mountain, to the house of Jacob's God, so that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in God's paths. Teaching will come from Zion, the Lord's word from Jerusalem. God will judge between the nations and settle disputes of the mighty nations. Then they will beat their swords into iron plows and their spears into pruning tools. Nation will not take up sword against nation anymore, and they will no longer learn how to make war. Come, house of Jacob, let's walk by the Lord's light. I like it because swords and plowshares are made of the same material. The material doesn't change. One generation has to melt it down and shape it into a sword. The next generation melts it down and shapes it into a gardening tool. And the idea that the, the, the material is the same. Uh, Jesus has a similar story. He talks about uh, wine in new wineskins or old wineskins. Like the wine's the same. The wineskin is different every generation. You can't put new wine in an old wineskin or it will burst. I think we've seen a lot of uh, Christian communities burst trying to keep using that old wineskin. And like, it's the wine that sustains us, not the skin. And um, so here we have an, an ode to that. The very beginning of the Christmas story uh, for, for Matthew is a genealogy. Uh, a genealogy, uh, a, an ode to the community that shaped us. And I'll just, I just put a small part of it in Matthew 1. Um, a very fun fact about David Rees, I think you tried to memorize the book of Matthew one time and you did successfully memorize a genealogy and he ran out of steam. Oh, you got five chapters. Wow. Well, you made it through the genealogy, but you could probably just say this for us. But the few verses, um, I, I, as I want you to notice if any of these names are familiar to you, 
if any of these names represent stories that you've heard before. The very beginning of Matthew's gospel, this is the genealogy of Jesus Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, their twin brothers, remember, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Aram. Aram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Solomon. Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been the wife of someone else. There's a lot of stories in the telling of a genealogy. And what's really cool is it technically Jesus isn't biologically, you can go back to the uh, genealogy there. Jesus isn't, this is through, this is Joseph's line, uh, which is profound. A lot of people are like, we're weirded out by that. Like this isn't Jesus's genealogy because he's born of Mary and, and not of Joseph. Um, but did you know that in Jewish, uh, in Jewish culture, uh, adoption is just as legitimate as biology, just as legitimate. That's what that means. It's the same thing. It doesn't matter if he's biologically related to Joseph or not. He's adopted, he's in. This is not an ode to a genetic code that's being passed on. This is an ode to the stories that have shaped each generation. You are a story shaper, as someone who's been shaped by the story. And there's a lot of messy stories there. I don't know if you know any. Tamar disguised herself as a shrine prostitute to trick her father-in-law uh, into impregnating her because she was a widow and he wasn't providing. And when she uh, kind of announces that she's pregnant by him, he falls on his knees and calls her the most righteous of all women. You have uh, uh, Rahab, a Canaanite who survived uh, the, the kind of uh, invasion that we learned about in the book of Joshua. You have Ruth, a Moabite widow who nearly starved to death with her mother-in-law. You have Jesse, the father of 12 sons, uh, 11 he was proud of, one he didn't really think counted. That was the one that became king, but power corrupts. Um, and because of some decisions David made, uh, we have a son named Solomon, and uh, his mother was the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba. It's a lot of stories. It's a lot of stories, a lot of generations in that genealogy. There's inaccuracies um, in the genealogy. This isn't actually like following the line. Sometimes they skip a few generations from grandpa to great-grandson -grand or whatnot. Um, there's scandals, there's murder, there's treachery. And the idea is that these are the stories that shape us. And she begins the story of her birth with this collection of stories and this ode to the generations that have gone before. Something that we don't really have a lot of in Canada, um, I'm not sure if you've ever seen this, probably more in like a Catholic tradition, but um, you know that for a very, very, very long time, um, graveyards were in churchyards. Yeah, you've seen this picture before. Um, this was kind of how people worshipped. And this is profound because uh, a, a, a genealogy is still a living thing. A genealogy is living. Uh, having a graveyard in a church was a way of saying we worship with the dead and with the living. That we worship together. Uh, that, the, that our ancestors have not simply kind of died and then our lives moved on without them. That false idea is sometimes what makes grief so hard. So I don't want to move on without them. I don't want to go forward without them. But this uh, way of, of, of holding uh, our faith says that um, it's not that our ancestors stopped and we continued on. This proclaims the hope that our ancestors have gone ahead 
to the next world. And that world is on its way back to us. So when we worship, we worship with our ancestors who've gone before us, who've gone ahead of us. And every church gathering is a gathering of past and future. In our Western mindset, we imagine the future's, behind, uh, uh, the future's ahead of us and the past is behind us, right? That's the classic line in Lion King, right? You got to keep your past behind you. No, you got to keep your behind in the past. I don't know. It's Pumbaa, but it's classic. I grew up with that movie. That's key. I learned recently that that's the story of Macbeth. I didn't know that. That makes sense now. Okay. That was a side quest. Forgive me. But in our culture, we imagine that the future is in front of us because we're a progressive people, you know, in the West, and the past is behind us. But I learned from Steph Lazert uh, that in, in, in Azerbaijan, uh, they see it differently. Uh, in, in, in different cultures around the world, they actually see that the future is behind them and the past is in front of them because you can see the past. You know the past. You can learn it. You can study it. You can open the book. You can ask your grandparent. But I don't know a darn thing about what's coming. I don't know the future. It's behind me. I'm walking blind, you know? And yet a third alternative, some indigenous cultures, um, the past is not in front of you, nor is it uh, behind you. The future isn't in front of you, nor is it behind you. The future is underneath you. Because when you plant a seed, you invest in the future and you watch what comes in the future. That seed turns into a great tree. The future comes from below. And so I was at... Um, when Raven was a little baby, maybe like two weeks old, three weeks old, I had this privilege of going to a, a sweat lodge with David when David worked with an elder in like a ceremony keep it, keeping. And I remember I had this like nine pound little baby. I'm like three weeks postpartum. And I, I'm just kind of in there, like around the, the, the people there just visiting. Um, and this older uh, indigenous woman um, asked if she could take take the little baby. And she, oh, can I hold him? Oh, yeah. And it kind of passed the little bundle. And she she takes the little bundle and she she moves the blanket and looks at his face. And she says, hello, little grandfather. Hello, little grandfather. And that's her name. And she says, you must treat him with great respect, Nikayla. He is a grandfather. Like, whoa. Whoa. That was a wild way of thinking about it. And in no joke, in that sweat lodge that day, I remember I was sitting inside and the very first song, the elder asked this woman named Natalie uh, to sing a, a song for women, uh, sing a woman's song. Um, and I didn't really know much about uh, Cree ceremony, but she, before she sang, she said her name. And then she said, all of a sudden, very loudly, she said, I sing this song for the grandmothers who've gone before us. And I sing this song for the grandmothers yet to come. And she broke out into song to heal what's gone before and to heal what's coming. And it, I, I had goosebumps and I remembered every time God shows up in someone's life in the scriptures, he says, I am the God of your ancestors. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet he also introduces himself in other parts. I am the God of the living. Jesus says at some parts, my kingdom is here in part, but not yet in full, which means the God who appears and says, I am the God of your ancestors is also the God who appears and says, I am the God of your descendants. I am the God of the past. I am the God of the future. And this, what we're doing right now, this ceremony, this ritual, we are remembering the story. We're being shaped by it. And we are passing it on from generation to generation. So I want you to close your eyes for a moment. Call to your mind the names, the faces of people who've gone before you, ancestors, maybe parents or grandparents or aunties or uncles, or uh, maybe just uh, spiritual ancestors, sort of heroes of your faith. Call their name to mind. 
Remember some of the stories that they passed on to you. Some of the values that they passed on to you. The hopes and dreams they passed on to you. Consider perhaps also the wounds they passed on to you. The fears, the insecurities, the anxieties. And imagine yourself with these names in your mind. Imagine the next generation. Imagine the next seven generations. Which stories will shape them? Which values? Which wounds? There's a quote by Leslie Marmon Silke. He says, I will tell you something about stories, he said. They aren't just entertainment, don't be fooled. They are all we have, you see, all we have to fight off illness and death. So look around now, your eyes are open, look around, look around the people in the room. We are little children listening in on a very ancient story. And yet we are also storytellers, story keepers. And if you think, I think about what Jeff said um, in, our, in the call to worship about how a room can be furnished uh, for an encounter. Look around this room. Imagine if you can, and if it's your first Sunday, that's beautiful. If it's your 200th Sunday, that's also beautiful. Think of the stories that have been held in this room, the genealogy of this room, the generation of this space. We are the storytellers. We are story keepers, but we are also the story. We are in the space between yesterday and tomorrow, right here, right now. Some of you know Awaken because you used to live in a tiny community called the House of Commons, like two blocks over. I'm not sure, I'm like, who's here? But that might be you. Connected. In the bathroom at the House of Commons for nearly a decade was a tiny picture of a forest. And the quote on the picture, some of you know it. There's a slide, it's the next one, I believe. It says, he said to me, I was a tree in a story about a forest and that it was arrogant of me to believe any differently. And he told me the story of the forest is better than the story of the tree. So there's Mary, next slide, pregnant with the past, pregnant with every generation that's gone before. Written on the DNA of the baby growing in her womb is every generation of humans before her. She is pregnant with the past. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are there. And yet, she is pregnant with the world to come, with the new creation. Here we are, awaken. Here we are in this room. The past is here. It's in these walls. It's in these scars. And it's in these strands of DNA, millions and millions and millions of miles of DNA in this room. And on those strands contains the history of the entire human race in this room with us right now, written in your DNA. And yet also within the DNA that's in your body right now contains the future, all the generations yet to come. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is here in this room. And yet upstairs right now, practicing for a play that will be cuter than cute. 
a bunch of grandmothers and grandfathers. The future, the people of tomorrow. The past is here, the future is here. And in this moment, we exist in that space between. When we light the candle, we call that which has gone before us to meet us in the long night. Remind us of all that you've survived. We call on our ancestors. We call on the great cloud of witnesses to guide us and, and remind us and to continue shaping us, to proclaim to us how much uh, they survived, uh, uh, the fights they fought. Uh, uh, we call on them to guide us in this moment. And yet also, when we gather, we summon the future back to this moment as well. We remember where we've been and we remember what's coming. And when we light that candle, we call it hope. So in the story of the forest, am I, I wonder this, am I the great mother tree drinking deep of the sunlight and pulling it down to my roots for the little seedlings growing below in the understory? Or am I the seedling? drawing up from the great roots, trusting that when it's time, the ancient ones will make room in the sky for me to stretch out and join the great cloud or the great canopy of witnesses. This is Mary. This is her family tree. Mary is more than 2000 years old. And yet on this very night, Look at you, little children, not even a hundred years old. She is in our midst. We are her great-grandchildren. We are the recipients of the story that shaped her. And here she stands in our midst saying, listen, little children, to my story. And on this night, she stands in our presence and she proclaims, uh, probably with a gentle voice, uh, her song that she proclaimed uh, to her cousin, Elizabeth. She says, listen, little children, not even a hundred. My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bondservant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is to generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. He has given help to his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, just as he spoke to our forefathers, to Abraham, and his descendants forever. And so we in this room right now, and in the room of digital space, I'm looking at you, Zoomers, we love you. We are co-collaborators. We are co-collaborators here in this room. We are co-conspirators here in this neighborhood. We are co-authors of this story, and we are co-shapers of the future. What we are becoming, the seeds we plant now, the world is becoming. And so Advent is the season to wait for the light that is coming. 
And as a, as a close, um, we don't do communion during Advent, of course, but we have a, a special song to help us uh, have a moment to pause um, and reflect on how the story shapes us. But in conclusion, I would just like to read to you um, Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Uh, the preacher says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and editor. I've changed from author and perfecter. The author and editor of our story. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then he sat down at the right hand of God. So God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God of Bel and Kai and Rowan, we meet you in this moment. We meet you with our hopes and our dreams and our fears and our anxieties, with our joy and our wounds, and we entrust uh, the work of birth to you. I pray that Christ would be born again in this community, in this place. And I pray that you would give us eyes filled with wonder uh, to see and anticipate uh, what, uh, what your work and your hand looks like uh, in this generation, in this place, in this community. I pray that we would turn towards each other, see you in one another's face, and be strengthened for the journey that lies ahead. We draw from what's gone before, pulling up from the great roots, and we reach for what's coming. We take our place in the great forest, and we trust you that the story of the forest is better than the story of the tree. Thank you for the branch, the leaf, the little crook that each of us has on this great tree, the tree of your people, the family tree of God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.